All right, well, welcome this morning to Mercy Fellowship. Uh, my name is Matt Nickel, if you haven't uh, met me before. Uh, I'm on staff here, and I get to preach once in a while, so it's just really, really a, a joy to be here this morning, and um, especially as we're reflecting on Christmas and really, um, you know, wanting to get into the Christmas spirit, I think is something that we all uh, hope for, um, for sure, even though we don't always get there, right? Um, and so as I get started, uh, we're talking today about hope for the weary. And um, it reminds me of kind of two things. Have you guys ever traveled recently? And um, they don't let you check your bags on for free anymore, right? So you have to pay for it. So if you're like me and you're, you're you know, you're a little tight, you know, you want to be, you're like, how can you just pack a really heavy carry-on, right? And I don't need to check anything. So like you see it because when you, when you get on the airplane, everybody's got these giant, carry-ons. And the problem with having a giant carry-on is if you have a layover, you're hauling this heavy bag everywhere you go. You can't, you're not allowed to leave it anywhere. If you set it down, they're going to call the bomb squad on you, right? So you have to have this on you. You're in the bathroom. You're trying to like hang it up or hold on to it and, and use the, I mean, it is, it is annoying to have this huge heavy bag with you all the time. And, um, it reminds me, actually, of uh, a story in my life when I was uh, just out of college. My parents gifted me as a graduation gift a, a backpacking trip uh, through Europe. So for those of you guys who are not familiar with what backpacking through Europe is, uh, you literally have a giant hiking backpack, and you fill it full of, like, a month worth of supplies, uh, and uh, you— you know, hike around Europe. And uh, you, we went, my sister and I went together, and we went and we had about $1,000 to get us through a month. So that means that you have to be really tight with your money. And um, literally, I would ration food out to my sister, and uh, we'd have like a piece of bread and some Nutella, and I'd be like, all right, at 10 o'clock, we can have another slice of bread and some Nutella. Um, so anyway, we were really tight, and we'd stay at youth hostels. And so youth hostels are not glorious, glamorous places. They're not hotels. You go in, you check in for about 25 bucks a night. You can sleep there, and you're in—it's kind of like being at camp, where there's just a bunch of bunk beds, and you get a bunk. And then there's 20 other people in the room, and they're all traveling too, strangers. So you're, li you're sleeping in a room with stinky— strangers, and your bag in your bed, mind you, right? Because you don't want anyone to steal all your belongings. Uh, so have these bags. In it is like my passport, right? Uh, my plane ticket home, because I didn't have a cell phone at that time, so um, there was no like, oh, just email it to me. I'm gonna, like, that's not how it worked back in, back in the old days. Um, so there I was, you know, everything that we belonged had, and we were like, we're gonna go on this grand adventure. And it was a grand adventure. Don't, don't get me wrong. It was a grand adventure. But uh, I had this great idea, this brilliant idea. Um, I played ice hockey in college, and so I loved to ice skate, and I was a really good rollerblader. So I told my sister, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring our rollerblades, and then we'll rollerblade around Europe. So we get into a city, and instead of like getting on a bus, or if we're trying to walk real far, we can just throw on our rollerblades, and you can make way faster time doing that. The thing that I didn't consider is that a lot of Europe are like, you know, 300, 500-year-old cobblestone streets, which is not great for rollerblades. 
Um, there was one moment of success. I remember we were in like um, Pisa, you know, where the Leaning Tower is, and we had to cross this giant roundabout, and um, there was like five lanes of roundabout, and we're on rollerblades, and so we just grabbed a hold of the back of a bus, you know, Back to the Future style, and we like crouched down and like rode it around the thing, and I was like, see, if we didn't have rollerblades, we wouldn't have made it across this. So there we are in Europe, backpacking, and everywhere we go, we had our rollerblades with us. Well, if we weren't wearing them, where do they go in their pack? In fact, I carried two sets of rollerblades because uh, my sister thought it was a bad idea to begin with, and I had this habit of not listening to wise women in my life, right? And I'm like, I know better, right? And so she's like, this is probably a bad idea. And I'm like, listen, if you don't think it's a good idea, I'll carry yours. So I have this backpack, two sets of rollerblades, heavy rollerblades, and then, you know, all of my belongings, a couple pairs of shoes, a couple jackets, the whole thing, uh, laundry to last me, maybe some food, whatever, and we're hiking. And um, you have to take your backpack everywhere you go. You don't have a hotel room to, like, leave it. So, you know, there I am, you know, in the Rome Coliseum with this giant backpack, right? I'm, I'm in the Louvre with this giant backpack. Everywhere you go, you can't leave it anywhere. And it was heavy. And, like, just, just the shoulders at night would just ache as I, I carried this around. And we went to the Swiss Alps, of course, right? We, when you're traveling in Europe, you've got to go there. Beautiful, beautiful. Like, very much like um, you see in The Sound of Music. Like, so we're, like, hiking through these, you know, glorious trails with these heavy backpacks, rollerblades. Like, what are rollerblades going to do you in the Swiss Alps, right? Like, nothing, right? So I've got these in, and I'm carrying them. And um, it's this, this huge mountain that we're climbing. And we... Um, we had this, uh, uh, we, we had to get on the train. So we would do sometimes at night, we'd sleep on the train because then you didn't have to pay for a hotel room or hostel, hotel. We never stayed at a hotel the whole time we were there. Um, so we would sleep, we'd do a night train. And a lot of times with the trains, if you wanted, you know, we had a rail pass, which means you could just kind of get on a train and go and didn't have to pay. But uh, if you wanted like a night car, like a car where the lights actually turned off at night, or maybe even like, had enough room that you could like, lay down, uh, you'd have to pay to reserve your spot. And so we reserved our spots. We were going to travel next uh, to Spain, which is going to, you know, we're excited about that. So we're hiking in the Swiss Alps, and we got to get back to the train. Uh, by it's like 10 p.m., I think the, 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 the train goes. So we're hiking down, and, and we got it all planned out, and I've got this heavy pack, and I start feeling sick. And I got a horrible migraine. Um, and the visual disturbance, you know, have you ever had a, a migraine? Everything's like getting black. I'm in the most beautiful place in the world, and it's just getting dark around me. My head is pounding, getting nauseated. And so there we are in the middle of nowhere, three, four hours from any other humans. This is not like a busy hiking trail like here in the Northwest. This is like in the middle of nowhere. No cell phones, these giant packs, and, um, and I am totally exhausted and literally vomiting on the side of the path here. And I'm like, I think the word to describe me would be weary, and then heavy laden, and then sick on top of that, right? Like just horrible. And I remember just like laying down in the grass and giving up. I'm like, this is, this is it for me. This is where we end 
you know. My sister's fine, and she's like, come on, we got to go, we got we to gotta get the train, like we're, you know, and you start, and, and for me, I'm just like, okay, so your mind, when you get to that level of tired, you just think of all the worst case scenarios. So a wild animal is going to come and eat us, right? It's cold at night, so it's like we might just freeze to death. I mean, we have maybe a half a slice of bread left. Maybe we're going to starve to death. You just like the worst case scenarios. Like, I'm just going to die up here. Um, and I just pass out. So for like an hour, I'm just laying there on the side of the road. And uh, I cannot imagine how my uh, sister felt and the stress that she was carrying. Like, we have to hit this thing. We don't have anywhere to sleep. Like, um, and I just want to I'll pause the story right there. I will come back to it at the end here, but... I think a lot of times that analogy is how we live our lives. Like we have these heavy packs of all the weight of responsibilities we have in our lives, you know? And I'm just curious if you were to like take off your heavy backpack and start unloading it and like what would the rollerblades represent in your life, you know? Would it be like your finances? Those can be really heavy you know, family relationships, your work, right? You start taking, start packing, you know, just start putting it out. Like, okay, there's this, and there's that, and there's being a parent, you know? There's just living in 2020, 2021, you know? The political unrest, right? There's just, you just start digging it out. Think about all these things that we're carrying around with us. It's weighting us down. And, um, and then you come to church, and you're like, I just, I just want to hear a little bit of hope, right? I want to have some hope. And I'm going to come up here, and I'm going to tell you this morning, you know, I've got four reasons why we should have hope. But honestly, that might just feel like a burden as well. Like, you're like, yeah, I should have hope. I'm a Christian, and the pastor told me I was supposed to have hope, and I don't. So now I feel a weight of guilt that I'm not somehow good enough. I'm not somehow believing enough. So my hope today is that I, I'm not, I don't pile any, any more weight upon you. Um, and at Christmas season, it's, it's kind of like, to me, like the idea of getting sick. Like you're already exhausted in November and running into Thanksgiving, and then you're like, oh, it's Christmas. And I had conversations a lot with my wife about what that means as a parent, right? Like the weight of like, are we going to give our kids a good Christmas, right? Are we going to be able to get the gifts on time, and like all of the things, and you know, do we have all the fun, and it's, it, instead of it being a joy and a pleasure, it's just a weight, you know, it's like, I didn't need this, at the end of this year, I didn't need this, um, so this morning, I just, I, I challenge you to, to listen, and that's kind of at the end, we're just going to take a few moments and try to unpack, you know, you, you got dressed up, you came to church, like, let's not just be up in our head. Let's just spend some time at the end here and just unpack our packs before the Lord. And um, hopefully we can leave here feeling lighter, feeling more connected to God, and uh, hope for another week. Um, so today I'm, I'm teaching on um, hope for the weary. And our, our verses for today, um, we're talking about Mary. And um, actually I've preached on Mary last year, I, I think it was. And uh, so we're not going to focus so much on Mary seeing the angel and what that was, uh, but more on her, um, kind of at the end, she, she kind of preaches a sermon, if you will. Uh, she sings a song. She's, it's like a prophecy. 
um, at the end, and, and that's what we're going to focus on today, and we're going to pull out these four reasons why we should have hope. But I'm just going to read, kind of get us caught up with the story here, and anytime you're reading scripture, it's always good to just, like, picture yourself in the story, and um, let the let the verses, like, speak to you. As, you. as you're reading and something stands out to you, like, to stop and be like, huh, you know, and, and try to think about things, not try to rush through the scriptures. But let me go. Okay, so here we go. We're starting with uh, verse 34. No, uh, we're going to start in 26, Luke 1, 26. In the Bible, and it says, nope, still one more. Make sure I'm in the right spot here. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's it. I just don't sure what I have up here. Um, okay, so in the sixth month, the angel, where am I have here? The sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, holy, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That's kind of a big deal. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And I love this next verse. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your will. And the angel departed from her. And that's usually where we, we stop. And there's a lot to dig into that. But we're going to go on here. Then Mary, in those days, arose and went to haste to the hill country to the town of Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those for who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts, and brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And that's where we'll end there. What's interesting to me about Mary 
and this is kind of where we're going to kind of start pulling things apart, is Mary really should be really weary and heavy laden, right? And uh, she just traveled, the distance she traveled to go see Elizabeth was about 100 miles. So she just traveled 100 miles, and it probably took her a couple weeks, you know, and she's probably got a backpack full of stuff, right? She's going to stay, she ends up staying there like three months uh, with Elizabeth. And so um, she's got a bunch of stuff with her, right? She's traveling, and the road there is actually not very safe at all. So there's a lot of things going on. But besides the physical tiredness, she is bringing a lot with her, right? She's got a lot going on, a lot that she's processing. And it's interesting because it starts out, the first thing Mary says is, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's just upbeat, you know, she just kind of feel that she's beaming. Uh, and so I wanted to look at Mary's story and say, how is Mary so different than us? How come when we are looking at the Lord, we come in on Sunday mornings, we're not necessarily beaming. We're, we're dragging, dragging ourselves in on a Sunday morning sometimes, which is okay. Mary is not here, right? She's got a lot going on, and she seems to really have things uh, in focus here. So um, as, we, as we talk about this, um, I'm going to start with what Mary says. So she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. And I just want to say to you that we can have hope because, number one, God sees us, okay? And I think that's super important because God sees her situation. God knows Mary, right? God knows her family situation, right? She knows her childhood traumas. God knows these things about her. God knows that Mary lives in Nazareth, a village six miles off the nearest road, right? They lived in this village that was, like, known for, um, you know, their hiding and uh, kind of away from society, right? Uh, it's like half the size, I think I said, of, uh, of concrete Washington, right? Like, just, it's, it, there's nothing there, and this is where she lives. And she is not a woman of power, Right? She's about 14 years old, and she has no rights uh, in those days. Women had very little rights. And, um, you know, she's poor, probably uneducated. Like, she's the least, right? And, and what I love about God is he always says, I have picked the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And Mary's an example of that. He knows her situation, and that encourages Mary. She's like, God knows my humble estate. Uh, and I think about us. I think about whatever burdens you have. God knows it. God knows what you're carrying. God knows your situation, your financial situation, your work situation, your family situation. God knows it. He sees you. He sees all the weight that you're carrying. I know that, like, when my kids hurt themselves, my daughter, Olive, like, stubs her toes. She comes running. Like, I hurt so bad. She just wants me to see her, like acknowledge it. That hurts. I see it. Let me look at it. That, give, that brings us some hope that the God of the universe sees us. And in fact, that humble estate, I kind of studied into that. Um, it actually, the word really talks about being unholy, 
and it's funny, kind of funny because the, the Catholic Church is very big on Mary being super holy, right? Maybe perfect, right? Like they, there's this whole, and Mary's like, God saw me and I'm not perfect. I am, I've got my own sin and my own brokenness. And I think that that's the scary part about knowing that God sees us. Because he sees you, he sees your situation, he sees how, the ways you've been victimized, all the problems you have, but he also sees how you put yourself in those situations, right? The things that you did that you shouldn't have done, and the, you know, the thoughts that you had that you shouldn't have had, right? God sees all of that as well. And, uh, and he still loves us, right? If he knows everything about you, and he still loves you, and he still cares about you, and he still sees you. That says something. It says something. But he doesn't only just see you in your sin, in your brokenness. Um, if you put your faith in Jesus, it says that God takes your filthy rags and gives you his righteousness, right? So when he sees you, he sees Jesus' per perfect life. So he doesn't look at you and go, mm, you know, you, you said you loved me, but I really know. Like, he's, he sees Jesus' perfection and says, like, I have, I have nothing but, like, grace and love for you. There's nothing. I don't see any of it. It says, far, far as from the east as the west, you know, he just, he takes it away. He sees us. Um, and he sees our sin, and, and, and that's good to know. God sees us. He sees our state. He sees our sin. He sees our brokenness. Um, but one of the things I think we don't talk about enough is that God sees her value, okay? We, we forget that God looks at us the way we look at our kids. God created us in his image. So when he created humans, he's like, I'm going to put part of my attributes in him. You look at your kids, and they do stuff, and you're like, yeah, that's a little bit like me, right? That's how God sees, and, and he gave us creativity. Have you seen how creative humankind is? He gave us intelligence. We're pretty smart. Uh, maybe not compared to God, right? But he sees how we, our minds work, and we figure things. Have you ever seen your kid, like, figure something out that you were like, oh, let me, oh, oh, you, you get that. In fact, my kids with art, they're like, look, my eight-year-old, look what I did, Daddy. And I'm like, holy cow, I couldn't do that. I think God looks at us often like that. He sees our creativity. He sees our beauty. He sees our intelligence. And, it, and it, it, we are intrinsically valuable because God made us. He made us that way, right? So be encouraged. You're, you have value and worth because God made you that way despite your brokenness, despite what you've done, you have value. And in fact, uh, the verse here says um, in Psalm 8, 4 through 5, 4 through 6, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. So you're like, okay, yeah, God, I can't believe that you're looking at me. I mean, I'm a horrible person, but that's not what the conclusion goes. Yet you've made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. He's given us glory and honor. We're beautiful, and we deserve honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet. So God sees us. God sees our brokenness. He sees our situation. But he's like, you're not just a pathetic wimp here. I created you. I gave you honor and glory and some of my attributes. Um, so as, as you're feeling the weight of whatever you're carrying. Remember that you have value. You have value to God, and he sees you. He sees your situation. 
your problems and your burdens, they matter to God. You matter to God. So when we call out, God, I don't know what I'm going to do here. He hears us. He sees you. And I think that that really can start to bring us some hope. Second of all here, we have hope because God is rich in mercy. There's two verses here, uh, Luke 150 and Luke 154, where Mary kind of bookends her like thing, and she says, mercy and more mercy. It says here, Luke 150, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Um, and then Luke 154 says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And uh, I think when we're tired and we're worn out and we're just laying on the side of the, the trail or whatever, we're like, we start to doubt God's character, right? Is God even good? Does he even love me? Does he even care? He might see me, right? But, and he says, no, his mercy is from generation to generation, meaning every generation gets God's mercy. Um, we've, we've even talked about um, a verse kind of for this church, uh, Ephesians uh, 2, 4, um, yeah, specifically 2, 4, 5, and 7 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then uh, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God is just so rich in mercy. Like, that's what he has most of. He's like, oh, you know, he's rich. Yeah, here's more mercy for us. Every generation, he has mercy for us. And that word mercy is not just like, oh, I was gonna, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to give you, you know, the punishment you deserve. He's talking about empathy, this emotional reaction that God has. The, that word in, in the Greek is, is about like this, this idea of like a, a, a gut, you're getting punched in the gut. So when God sees you, and he sees you under a burden, he sees you hurting, he has a gut reaction of mercy, empathy. He feels it for you. Uh, we see this in Jesus as he's traveling. Um, he, uh, when he was doing his ministry in Matthew 14, 14, it says, when Jesus landed, he was in a boat, he came up on the shore and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. He like looked and he's like, oh, these guys need some help here, right? Uh, Luke seven thirteen. when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. You ever, you ever done that when your, your kid is crying? And you're just like, oh, just don't cry. Come, I know you had a bad day, right? This is Jesus towards us. This is his, his, his emotion towards us, his state towards us, his mercy. He loves us. Um, Mark six thirty four. when Jesus landed another time, he saw a large crowd crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them, and, he, and he, his, his heart went out to them. But if they were sheep without a shepherd, he's talking about people who didn't believe in him. So he's not, he's not just having mercy on the people that he loves, and he's like, he looks at the world. He looks at our, our society. He looks at our communities. He has compassion on them. It's like they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're running around. We have sheep in our yard. Our, our, our neighbor has sheep. And they are, I, there's a ton of things I'm learning about <laughs> sheep. Um, and in fact, I, I don't know, uh, they can fall over easily, and they cannot get up easily. So we will look out in our field, and we'll see a sheep laying down. And I'm like, is he sleeping? And then you just see its legs, like, doing this for hours. 
And I've had to call my neighbor and go, oh yeah, you have to get up and like roll them over or they'll, they'll never get up. Sheep without a shepherd are screwed. <laughs> they really are. And that is how God looks at us. And he's like, I just, I just want to help them. I just want to love them. I just want to fix them. Right? That can give us hope. We're not feeling like things are going well. You're like, God sees you, and God has, has empathy for you. He's got mercy for you. Like, that's, that in itself makes you feel better. In fact, if, if one of your friends ever comes to you and says, my life really sucks right now, let me just tell you about it, right? It's not about fixing it. It's like saying, I see what you're going through, and I feel for you. I mean, that, that goes a long way, right? That goes a long way. And oftentimes, if you try to fix it, you're going to mess it up. Like, well, you need to know this, and just do this, and your life will be better. And, and that's unfortunate, because we tend to go there. And people really need to be seen, and they need to be empathized with. Someone just to hang out with them in their, in their hard times. That's how Jesus is. He um, is so rich in mercy, and his heart comes out with, to us. And um, he knows what we really need. And, and in, with mercy, you know, just the cross. So there's two kinds of people here today in, in any sermon, right? You have the people who know Jesus, and we forget his mercy. We forget that God loves us so much. And then there are people here who, who maybe don't know Jesus. They don't love Jesus. They don't understand Jesus. And they know they've got all this stuff in their backpack and a lot of this brokenness and stuff that they own, and they hear God sees them, and they're like, yeah, great. That's the last thing I want to know. I'm out of here. And he says, God has mercy. And like, yeah, but like if you really understood. And it's a God such rich in mercy that he did what it took to fix our situation. He didn't necessarily come in and say, okay, you did this, and now I'm taking away the consequence of that. He's like, listen, all of this is secondary to this fact that you need, you need your sins paid for. You need a relationship with me restored. And that's what he did on the cross. The whole point of Christmas, Jesus came demonstrating his mercy, demonstrates that he sees us. He's going to come down. He's going to be with us. He's going to live a life, show us how, have compassion on us, and then do what we really need is someone to take our burdens, the ones that we can't carry, pay for them, and give us some hope, right? That is what Jesus did with his mercy. Okay, third thing. We have hope because God can do hard things, right? Um, my wife and I often joke when we have lots of stuff on our schedule and lots of things to do. Or my wife, will, Rachel, will look at me and say, I can do hard things, right? Like you ever, when you're burdened, you got a lot to do. You're like, okay, I got to remind myself, I can do this. I can do this. Um, and I think when you're really weary and you're laying on the side of the, the path, you're like, God, I can't do this, right? I can't, I can't go on. Um, we have hope because God can do hard things. In fact, if we go all the way back to the angel talking to Mary. Mary's like, listen, this is a little crazy. You're saying I'm going to get pregnant. I'm not married. I don't have a husband. That's scientifically impossible. Um, plus, you know, he, she's like in her mind going through, and he's like, he's like, listen, for God, nothing is impossible. Like, that's not even a big, we, we know that, right? It's not, it's, nothing's impossible. So God can do hard things. So when you're dealing with stuff, there's stuff that we have to deal with as humans that are impossible for us to deal with. And yet we try to carry them, you know? We're like, well, it's up to me. I gotta fix it all, right? And we can't. 
And so we just wear ourselves out trying to carry a burden that wasn't meant for us to carry. I know there are people who are dealing with sickness, right? Cancer. With, with God, it's not impossible for him to cure our cancer. For us, it is. Some doctors are pretty good, and they can do some stuff too, which is amazing. But there are things that we carry that we need to take those things to God. We can't just carry them. I'm going to just do it in my own strength. But this is how, how we live our lives. Um, so uh, we have hope because God can do our things. It says in Luke uh, 1:51, he has shown strength with his arm. I love that because I feel like God's flexing a little bit. You know, he's like, you know, he shows he's got strength in his arm. Um, I love it when the, the Bible, like, you know, puts human like pictures in us for us to look, right? And he scatters the proud with their thoughts of their hearts. We'll get back to that. He's brought down the mighty in their thrones. So politically, any political problems, God, God can fix. Nothing's impossible for God. So before we get hopeless and whatever, God can fix it if he wants to. Um, and he's brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things right? When you're hungry, when you're poor, when you're needy. That word of hungry is less about being hungry food-wise and more about needy, right? What do you need? He can, he can give you what you need. And the rich he has sent away empty. So when we're tired and worn out and everything feels hard, um, we need someone to do those hard things. Um, and I think for me, the thing that wears me out the most is— um, I carry things I shouldn't carry, and one of them is other people's well-being, other people's emotions, other people's— um, I've been reading this book called uh, Changes That Heal by Henry, Dr. Henry Cloud. He talks a lot about boundaries, and as Christians, sometimes we're, we're taught, you know, we love others, we put other people first, and then we get in these, like, really unhealthy relationships where we feel like we're in charge of making somebody else happy, and we will wear ourselves out trying to do something for somebody else. And I, the picture to me comes to me is carrying someone else's rollerblades, right? You got your rollerblades, and they're there, and then you got somebody else's rollerblades. You're trying to make them happy. You're trying to jump through their hoops, like Thanksgiving, right? Mom's like, well, you better be here on Thanksgiving. You know, my parents, I talked to them on the phone, and um, I know they love me, and they're—but um, they— always, always, always are like, you know, everybody else is here for Thanksgiving, you know, and there's like this weight of guilt, this weight that we feel that we did not somehow live up to someone else's expectations. We're carrying these things around, other people's rollerblades in our bags. Um, and so God can do, that's, that's something for them to deal with, and God can deal with, but it's not for us to carry. Um, but God can do hard things. And then he talks about not being real kind to the proud. Do you see that? Like, it's like he's uh, scattered the proud, he's um, brought down the mighty, and he has the rich he sent away empty. And we really look at ourselves. We're, we're not the poorest of the poor here, right? We're in America. We have good jobs, a lot of us. Um, but we're not the poor, right? So these are pretty, pretty hard hard words. What is he talking about here? And to me, God is saying, like, listen, the reason why you're carrying all this weight is because you're too proud. You're too proud to ask me for help. 
You're too proud to lay down all the guilt and shame that you're carrying and say, yeah, I did all this. Can you take it, please, God? Like, I'm, I'm ready to announce and admit it to you and just add it to that account that you paid for, right? He's like, anything else you want to put that I can pay for? And you're like, well, there's this other one I didn't want to tell you about, but yeah, you should probably pay for that one too, right? Like, God needs to pay for it all, and we're too proud. We're like, mm, I got this, you know? In, in society, when we don't, when we don't submit and say, okay, I need Jesus, we don't put our trust in Jesus, we don't love our Jesus, we're like, you know what? I'll just do a lot of good things, right? At Christmas time, I'll, you know, put a little in the offering, uh, or not the offering, the, you know, the guy drink, ringing the bell, you know, I'm gonna put a little more in there, you know, make me feel better for all the things I didn't do this year, or, you know, Safeway, they're like, oh, you want to donate a little bit for the, yeah, let's donate a little bit, right? And you feel good, I kind of evened out, right, this karma thing. And he's like, yeah, as long as you're doing that, you're trying to, like, pay for your own stuff, he's like, you don't get it. You don't get me, you don't get my, my, you know, my, you don't get the hope from me. He's like, you got to come and say, okay, I'm needy. I'm broken. I'm lost. I can't go on. And so he invites us to lay our burdens um, on the God who nothing is impossible. Um, And so the last thing I wanted to talk about is um, we have hope because God speaks to us. And um, it says here in Luke 1, 54 through 55, and kind of picking up on the mercy verse, he says, He helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And God speaks to us forever. He's present with us. He's communicating with us forever. And so, you know, Mary says we can have hope because God speaks. God doesn't just like, come in and do our miracles, right? So that's what we were like, okay, so he sees us, he's got mercy, he's got power, so all right, God, I'm gonna rub my magic lamp, and you're gonna just appear. What would you like me to do for you today? You know, like, well, first of all, my bank account's looking a little dry here. Let's put a little in there, and let's see what else, right? That's not how it works. We, we tend to think that, like, we somehow have control over God. God. God is his own person. He gets to make the choices of what he does, we can ask. God says, come and ask. But God, knowing all and being actually good, gets to make those choices. But what he does do, he's like, I would love to speak with you. I would love to communicate with you. I'd love to impact your life, to change things. Um, and so God speaks to us. And um, this, to me, is something that we do not take advantage of enough, I think, as Christians right? We believe in Jesus. He's, you know, we come to church, and we just live our lives like it's on fire, right? And God's like, I'm here. I would love to hang out with you. I'd love to communicate with you. I'd love to get a cup of coffee with you and just speak to your life, to teach you things. And so as we kind of wrap this up, I want to kind of land on this verse, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. So there's a couple verses here. Jesus says, this is Jesus' own words. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
see how that kind of weaves into all of this thing that we're talking about. And um, so we look at all the Christmas decorations and the lights. I believe that God is calling us to meet with him. He says, come to me, right? And they said before, there's two kinds of people that God's calling. People who don't know Jesus. They don't know what it feels like to feel the love and the mercy and the hope that comes with Jesus. And he says, I, wanna, I want you to come to me. I want you to turn to me. I want you to, to put your faith in me. And we often think about this verse in those ways, and those are so true. And if that's you today, I, God's calling. Not me, him. He says, come to me. I want to give you rest. I want to fix things in your life. But for the rest of those who have put our faith, we forget that God's still there saying, hey, come hang out with me. Come spend some time with me. You've got this huge burden. I can fix that. Right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Labor, work. You work? You stress? Are you busy? I like to think of that labor as busy, because sometimes it might not be paid work, but we're, we're working. We're working our Christmas lists. We're working our, all the things that we're, you know, we're working. All of you who are laboring, stressed out, busy. He's like, come on, come hang out with me. Carve some time out, spend with me. And heavy laden, you know, the, the backpack of all the things that we're worrying about and stressing about. He's like, come to me, and I will give you rest. I'll let you put your feet up. Take a deep breath, right? You know, at Christmas time, it's magic if you can get yourself to the place where you can put your feet up and be like, Christmas is done. I'm ready, right? Um, I think that Jesus wants us to do this every day, to come to him and say, okay, here's the backpack. Here's all the stuff I'm carrying. Here you go. I'm going to put my feet up now, <laughs> and I'm going to rest knowing that you've got it all. Uh, one of the guys I, uh, one of the pastors I really like, his name's uh, Pete Scazzaro. He says, God accomplishes more while we sleep than we do, you know, when we're awake. And to relax and let God be God. We don't have to be God. Um, for he's gentle and lowly in heart. And I've been also reading another book. This, we, we gave this to the congregation. If, if, if you guys want a copy of this, I think we probably have a few more of this. It's called Gentle and Lowly. This verse is kind of the, the, how, how we, he started with this book. Um, and he says in here, We are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus. Because he will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out the way many of our parents did. He gets down with us. He puts his arm around us. And he deals with us in the way that is just what we need. He deals gently with us. So I ask you this morning to trade backpacks with Jesus. Think about what he's carrying right now. Oh, the stress about... Hmm, actually, he's not, there's no stress, right? He doesn't have... He's taken care of it all. He's paid for it all. He's like, come on, unpack your pack. We'll trade. I'll carry yours, and you can carry mine. Um, he says, take 
um, learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. My, my yoke is easy, my burden is, is light. <sighs> I wish that for all of us, right? That we could, could get to that place of rest and learn. And this learn, sometimes we get very um, North American about learn. Like, okay, so I'm going to go to class, I'm going to take the notes, I'm going to learn, to pass the test. This learn is more about apprenticeship, right? Like, I'm going to teach you the ways to live, right? So he's learned from me, learned from Jesus. You know how he spent his mornings? He got up early. He went and hung out with, with God the Father and prayed alone. Did this. He came to, he came to the Father. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. 